We are doing a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in verse 3, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. We have been looking at the gospel, which the word means good news. We all like good news. And it is a message of wonderful good news. It is the best news. And we have seen that in order for us to appreciate the gospel as good news, we have to understand the bad news. And we have already looked at that. We considered that. What the Bible has to say about our fallenness in sin, in Adam, and our own state in sin. We have a bad record in heaven, and we have a bad heart. Our condition is very, very serious. And so, until we really understand that, will we ever appreciate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We don't just need a little tweaking. We are in desperate need of rescue And that's what the gospel is about. It is about rescue. And we saw last two weeks ago the personal nature of the gospel, that it is none other than the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stepped across the stars of heaven, came into our world, was born of the Virgin Mary. Paul speaks about that here, that it is a message about Christ, and it has to do with the message about sin, And Christ is the personal means by which this good news comes to us. It is in a person. It's it's a baby that was born at Bethlehem. The gospel, Mark says, is the gospel that Jesus began to preach. This gospel that he is writing about was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we speak about the person of Christ, we also need to associate with it the work of Christ. So when we think about the gospel, it is about the person of Christ and it's about the work of Christ. Those things go together. And today we want to speak about this unique person and the work that he accomplished and what he did. So the message is the work of Christ is the grounds of the good news of the gospel. This work of Christ, what he did, what he accomplished, is the basis for the good news of the gospel. And so as Jesus Christ came into this world, uh, Paul describes it in 1 Timothy that he uh, came into the world to save sinners. Um, It is speaking about him coming, and it's on a rescue mission, and he has come to do a work. He didn't come on a vacation. It wasn't just a simple excursion. There was a work that was given him to do. We want to consider that, first of all, an assigned work. He was born with a purpose. He came into this world with a purpose. We might say a job description. So in Isaiah, we read about the servant of the Lord. He has come to do the will of his Father. And Jesus, at the age of 12, even when he was 12, and you remember the account when he was 
left at the temple and his parents came to look for him. And you remember his response. Even at the age of 12, he is conscious that he has a mission. And he said to his mother and his father, he said, must I not be about my father's business? I have a job to do. And this comes out later in his own teaching. We read in John 4, especially uh, in John, uh, about this work of Christ. John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I have a work to do. And my food, what, what I've come for, what I live for, is to do the will of my Father, to do this work he has given to me. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have a work. I have a work to do, and it is the will of my Father who has sent me, and I have come to do that. I have come to accomplish that. And then again, at the latter end of his ministry, just before the cross, Jesus says in John 17, 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work. There it is again. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. So there is a work. Now, what is this work? What is this work? Well, Joseph was to name this baby born to Mary, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's his mission, to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And so it is a divine rescue. He has come to save sinners. We have been watching on our televisions probably this week the hurricane down in Florida, and we see the rescue operations that have been going on there since Ian hit, uh, hit Florida. And so it is, as we think of Jesus Christ, He has come to do a work, and this work is a rescue mission. And he is one who is fully equipped for this. We read in Isaiah 53 that it says there of this coming one, that by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He knows what to do. He knows what is needed. But he is also equipped He is also equipped to do that work. And so he knows what needs to be done, and he is able to accomplish it. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So he's the right person, and he has the knowledge, and he has the power to save sinners. So he came to save, but how does he save? That's what we want to focus on today. How does he save sinners? What what work does he perform to carry that out? Well, look here at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. I've received this message from the Lord, and I give it to you, Paul says, that Christ, this unique person, he died for sins. He died for our sins. All right, there in that little statement speaks about the work of Christ and what he does in order to save guilty, helpless 
needy sinners. He died for our sins. Now, I suggested at the beginning of this series that when we think about the cross of Christ, it is, it's an unusual, is an unusual doctrine. It is a strange work that Christ has. That he is going to lay down his life on a cross, die in the place of sinners, and this is the means by which he is going to rescue them. Now, when you think of a man on a cross dying and being crucified, that's probably the last image in your mind of a Messiah, of a deliverer who's on a cross and dying there. And yet, that is the message that is at the center of the gospel, a crucified Savior. And this is the work of Christ. And this is a work that is often hated. It is often considered to be foolish, as Paul says, and it is a stumbling block to many, and they don't like the message of someone being crucified on a cross. We don't like to think about that. It's, it's gory. And some people think, again, that it is just, it is ridiculous. Uh, an Oxford professor some years ago said concerning this doctrine of Christ dying upon the cross, he says, it rests on the allied doctrine of original sin and a vicarious atonement, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. And that's the way many look at the cross. They look at it in that way, or they just think it's, it's utter foolishness. And so, as we began this series, I said, you know, we've been, many of us have been familiar with the preaching of the cross all of our life, but we, realize, well, we, we fail to realize just how, how bizarre, in, in some sense, this is. That God becomes a man, and as a man, he lays down his life on a cross in order to forgive us of our sins. And I would suggest to you, if you believe that this morning, it is nothing short of the grace of God that has brought you to that point to realize that this one dying on a cross is the only way that I can be saved from my sin. That in itself is a work of God's grace, that we would believe a message like that. Paul says to those who believe in this crucified Savior, this is the power of God unto salvation. Now, we'd like to, I'd like to unpack that just a little bit. What did it mean for Christ to die upon a cross, this strange work that was assigned to him? What did that entail? Well, at the heart of it, it is a substitutionary work. Now, we are not free to give our interpretation of what happened on that cross when Jesus died. The Bible gives us the historical events. It tells us what happened, how Jesus Christ was crucified by Roman soldiers, put on a cross. All of those things are given to us in the Bible, but the Bible also gives us the interpretation of what's happening there. What we could not see with our own eyes if we were standing before the cross The Bible gives us this interpretation. And again, we're not free to say, well, to me, the cross means this. And a lot of people do that, that 
You know, it's just an example of Christ, his great love, you know, or he was a martyr for his cause. Or it's just an example for us uh, to, to follow. Um, and we're not free to, again, to interpret it. The Bible gives us the interpretation. And Paul tells us here in Corinthians that Christ died for our sins. And one of the truths of the New Testament and the whole Bible is that of substitution. That it was a substitutionary death. That's a big word if you're, young, if you're younger. Substitution. That's what happens in a basketball game when one player comes out and another one goes in. Someone takes someone else's place. And the whole Old Testament is full of this idea of substitution. Substitutionary atonement. We're familiar in the Old Testament of sacrifices that were offered up of animals, innocent animals, that were offered up in the place of guilty sinners for their sin. Substitution. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, there was, you remember, the killing of a lamb. And God's judgment passed over the house where the blood was on the doorpost. There was a lamb that was slain. And so... All of this foreshadowing the coming of Christ. And so we have, throughout the New Testament especially, and in the Old Testament, this idea of substitution. Someone dying in the place of the guilty. That's how bad our sin is. That it needs to be atoned for. It needs to have a sacrifice, none other than the very Son of God who became a man. And so we read this morning out of Isaiah 53 those many passages that speak about this one who is to come, the servant of the Lord, who will die. He will die for the guilty. And probably the most familiar verse to us is Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep, we've what? We've gone astray. We've gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, our substitute. We deserve to die, but God laid the punishment that was due to us upon him. And then we have Romans 5, 6. For when we were still without strength, that Christ died for the ungodly. He died for, in the place of, those who were ungodly. Romans 5, 8 verse I love, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Probably one of the most helpful verses is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He has made him, that is God the Father has made him, has made Christ who knew no sin to Be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here it is. The second person of the Godhead, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was absolutely sinless and undefiled. God made him to be sin for us. Our sins were put upon him, the the innocent one. He bore the sins of his people as he went to that cross. 
This is the primary issue is our sin. And here is this great exchange. This is the great work of Christ, that in himself he would absorb the wrath and the judgment of God due to the sinner in their place as their substitute. I deserve to die. He died in my place. He died instead of me. He bore the wrath of God instead of me. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The Bible is full of this idea of the transfer of the guilty of our sins, the guilty party, being put to the account of Jesus Christ. It was transferred and put to his account, and he suffered for it in our place. This is what the work of Christ is all about. I love this quote by John Owen, and I know over the years I've quoted it many times, but allow me to read it once again. He says, The purpose of our holy and righteous God was to save his church, but their sins could not go unpunished. It was therefore necessary that the punishment for that sin be transferred from those who deserved it but they could not bear it to one who did not deserve it but was able to bear it. This is the foundation of the Christian faith and all divine revelation contained in Scripture. Here is the rescue of guilty sinners by the Lord Jesus Christ. One who didn't deserve it but he could bear it, and he did at Calvary. And he did it for those who deserved it, but we could never bear it. It would send us to an eternal hell, the wrath of God. But he interceded for sinners, that they might be justified before God, that they might be accepted before God. And so this is this great truth of the work of Christ on the cross, that it was in the place It was substitutionary in the place of guilty sinners. Now, as we think about that, we need to understand this was a a grueling work. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. There is a laboring of his soul. This is a hard work. This is a difficult work that Jesus Christ undertook as he came into this world. To die for sinners. Isaiah 53, 12. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. That word is used in other places of the emptying of a pitcher. It is completely poured out. 
This is what Jesus did. This work that he did. He poured out himself. He poured out his soul. It was laborious. It was a hard work. But he poured himself out. He gave himself to this work. And little wonder as we look into the Gospels and we're able to see as Jesus is nearing to the cross the great anguish that is upon him. Luke twenty-two forty-four. And being in agony, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then he sweat, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. My soul is troubled. He is in great anguish. He's Dropping sweat as, uh, along with blood droplets. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. This is an amazing statement. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He endured the cross. He took the cross and he bore it. He is one who labored. He was one who endured and he is one who embraced this hard work and he didn't quit. He freely did this. I want us to be aware of that this morning that Christ voluntarily took on this grueling work. Someone was not, his father was not twisting his arm behind his back. He willingly did this. Christ was the one who out of love to his father and out of love to his people and out of a covenant obligation that he has made with his father, he willingly endures this. He himself says in John 10, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down. I lay down my life. And so Paul says in Ephesians 5, to husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. He loved his wife and he gave his life for her. He served her. He's, as, as, as husbands, we are called to be servant leaders. Yes, to lead, but to be a servant. And even as Christ, to lay down our life. Paul gets very personal, Galatians 2.20, where he says, he loved me and he gave himself for me. If you're a believer today, that is what you can say, that Christ knew me when he went to the cross and he gave himself for me out of love. He loved me and he gave himself freely for me and died in my place. And lastly, this morning, we want to consider that it is an all-sufficient work. This work that Jesus Christ did, he did by himself. He did this work alone. We do not add to this work. We, do, we are not co-workers with Jesus Christ in this work that he accomplished. If you think about tra- track, field and tra- track and field, There is a a mile relay, and there are four different people that run a quarter of a mile. 
And you might have three average people, not so good runners, but you may have that one really, really, really good runner that can make up for the lack of the other three. And that's not the way this works. It is Christ alone. He doesn't just make up for the diff- our inadequacies. We don't work with Christ. His work is an all-sufficient work. It is about the, the gospel is about the work of another. It's not about our works. It's not about what we have done. And Jesus said, I have finished. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. It is finished. It's gloriously complete. complete. Everything that is necessary for guilty and helpless sinners has been provided by Jesus Christ and by him alone. So we don't bring something to the table. The only thing we bring is our sin that makes it necessary. It is a finished work. It's like the Red Sea. You remember when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and Pharaoh's army is breathing down their neck? They're coming to destroy them. And there's the sea, the Red Sea that is before them. And it looks like they're gone. They're done. And Moses, the Lord says, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. They're helpless. They they can't do anything about it. And so it is in the gospel. Stand still, stand back, and see the salvation of the Lord. It's what Christ has done. It's about the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to forgive me. This is a message of grace that is received by the sinner by simple childlike faith. Romans 4.4, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. 1 Timothy 1.9, he saved us not according to our works, what we have done in righteousness, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone. I was listening to Alistair Begg. He's got a wonderful part of one of his sermons. And he's talking about the thief on the cross, who in the last moments of his life, he's cursing Jesus, who is next to him. But before he dies, he cries out and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he imagines a scenario when this thief goes to heaven. And as he comes, you know, what is his only hope of getting into heaven? And the angel says, well, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone? He's like, never heard of that before. Well, what what makes you think that you can come in here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said, I could come. I'd encourage you to Google that. It's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, sermon. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. It's the work of Christ and Christ alone. And so we need nothing else and we desire nothing else. 
He is sufficient. It is our privilege today to come to the Lord's Supper. And as we do, what do we do? We are remembering him who said, I've done this for you. This is my body which was broken for you. This is the cup. This is my shed blood that is given for you for the remission of sins. It is a glorious work that Christ has accomplished. We're going to talk about it more in two weeks. But we remember him today, what he has done for us. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Christ, you've never bowed the knee to Christ, here is hope for sinners. Here is hope for those who are like sheep going their own way, estranged from God, even the worst of sinners. Here's a Savior who's mighty and able to save. And he saves in this way, by himself on a cross, giving up his own life and bearing the wrath of God so that you could be forgiven. And Jesus says, everyone that comes to me, no matter how bad they are, I will receive them. I'll not turn them away. I invite you as we prepare to come to the Lord's table to take the insert that is in your bulletin. We're going to sing, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and we remember invite you to stand. We're going to sing just the first three verses, then we'll have the Lord's Supper, and then we'll close with the fourth verse at the end.